Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had rogue spirits in from Oregon. Woohoo! Oregon whiskey. Mr. Dewey Weddington was in to educate us. We did a beer and whiskey pairing. We tried the Oregon single malt, the dead guy whiskey, American rye malt, and their stouted whiskey. Yeah, whiskey made from stout. That's right. You can do that. It's not insane. It was delicious. At any rate, tell your friends about our podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and please enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't get wasted on some new kind of whiskey you've never had before and then wonder why you peed your pants. We're really, really Sorry. excited. We're doing something that we don't normally do in the Whiskey Society. We have beer in the house. This is so I know all of you guys are excited about that. Sometimes we get we get special surprises with some bottles, but we rarely get beer in here. But that's because we have Rogue Ale and Spirits from Oregon in the house tonight. Please give it up for Mr. Dewey Weddington. He is the, the director of Spirits for Rogue Ale and Spirits. Can I keep my back to everybody? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you are here for the Sonoma tasting? I th a couple, I thought you looked familiar. A couple of, we were standing in the back watching, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it was also a little scary. So I know what kind of questions are coming at me. <laughs> so as she said, I'm, I'm the director of Spirits for Rogue, which really means I just juggle a lot of things. Um, I get to work, interact with our distiller and the team down at the brewery and the, and the still house. I get to run around the country and work with our distributors and our sales team like Mike back here, um, who I'm gonna deflect all of the really hard questions to Mike. Um, just to upset him as much as I possibly can. Um, and, and really, the last year for me, I've been with Rogue for about a year, a little over a year and a half now, has been uh, bringing kind of the new Rogue spirits out to everybody. And when I say new, how many of you guys have had our gins, whiskeys, or our vodkas and rums over the last 15 years? Well, Anybody? everyone can raise their hand because you just had the gin and the punch <laughs> on the way in here. <laughs> they yeah. just had that? They, they just had the gin in, in the punch. So this is a very <clears throat> versatile brand. Obviously, you had the gin on your entrance. We're going to be tasting through four different whiskeys, and we're going to be doing beer. So Rogue is kind of doing everything all over the map. But where you guys really got started was with craft uh, craft beer, right? Yeah. That was your boom. So why don't we start there? Why don't we talk about your uh, kind of beer philosophy and how that transitioned to your whiskey making process? Well, you're asking the spirits guy to talk about beer. So I'm gonna <laughs> pause for a minute and reach out there. Yeah, the brewery started now 30 years ago last October was our 30th anniversary. So Rogue was Three one of the ago. earliest. What's that? Three weeks ago. Three, Three weeks, weeks ago. ago. So we're even younger than I thought. A couple extra weeks. We uh, were one of the early craft brewers in the Northwest, um, started in Ashland, Oregon, if anyone's been at the southern tip of the state, and rather quickly moved the entire operation to Newport, Oregon, which is on the central Oregon coast. Yaquinta Bay, at that time, a big fishing and timber, uh, lumber port, a lot of activity there, but no brewery. So we set up the brewery there and continually grown since then. And 15 years ago, we added the distillery and started distilling. But the, the main kind of goal that we try to work from is we like to do things as hard as we possibly can and not do anything easy because the end result is what we want is something that's special and different. So if you've had our beers over the year, you may have seen things like our six hop and what we refer to as our farm series. We started growing hops ourselves in the mid Willamette Valley a number of years back when there's a hop shortage because we wanted to get a little control over our supply of hops. We started growing barley and rye not too long after that in the Willamette Valley in Eastern Oregon because we wanted to get a little control of our grains. 
Um, we started uh, adding on different elements. We have honeybees on the farm. Uh, we started growing cucumbers on the farm. We started growing marionberries on the farm. We started adding different ingredients to give us inspiration to figure out what can we do with the beer side. Well, at the same time, as the spirits were starting to evolve and grow, we started looking at how do we add our farm products into our spirits. Well, the easy thing is, is our, our whiskeys, which you will taste, the barleys and the rye on these come from our farm, and I'll explain those when we get to them. The cucumbers and that gin that you had and about a quarter of the botanicals come off of our farm in the Willamette Valley. Um, in fact, that gin, the goal is always get them from the farm into the tank within two days so we get as fresh possible cucumber aroma and flavors you can. If you ever get a chance to try that straight or a little, a little less uh, you know, other flavors added to it, give it a go because it's a really bright, fresh cucumber. Um, it's like you just peeled that. So we try to grow everything that we can. Sometimes things do really well for us and we have to start sourcing from other farmers in Oregon because we can't grow enough on that acreage that we have. But our goal is always to begin with an ingredients that we can grow and then take it from there. And if we can add acreage, we will. I think the first whiskey they're gonna pass around is a really great example of the grain side of things coming into our whiskey. This is our Oregon single malt. It is uh, 80 proof, so a 40 ABV on it. It is 100% uh, barley off of our farm and uh, it was in Thai Valley, which is if you're in Portland and you turn east and you face Mount Hood, it's up and over the mountain on the east side. Uh, nice dry, arid climate over there. A lot of great place to grow uh, a lot of our grains in the state and other ingredients. Uh, the, well, the Willamette Valley is still considered to be one of the most fertile valleys in the world, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's also very wet. So with, with that, if you go over to Newport where the brewery is, we have great water there. But we're not going to farm a lot of ingredients there except, you know, Dungeness crab and halibut and salmon which aren't gonna taste really good in your whiskey or your gins. <laughs> on that side of the mountains, it rains about 80 inches of rain every year. 80 inches will fall on the west side of the, uh, the Oregon Coast Range. And you get in the Willamette Valley, it's about 40 inches. But if you hop over to the east side, it drops down really quick. It's like 300 days of sunshine on that side of the mountains. Very little rain once you cross over the Cascades in Oregon. So better place for grain than Willamette Valley where it gets really wet as the grains get you know, ready in the fall, they start to get a little too much moisture and they can rot on us pretty quick. But the Willamette Valley is great for Pinot Noir and that gin that you tasted, there is a Pinot Noir barrel finished version of that gin as well. So that's another where we've kind of borrowed from our friends at the wineries and said, hey, what can we do with that? So th this whiskey that you have, oh, you did. Oh, I'm sorry. The gin that you had in that punch was the Pinot Spruce Gin. Yeah, it was the Not Pinot the straight spruce up Spruce Gin, which I, did, I didn't realize that that was the gin we ended up using, which is fantastic. So you're using um, eggs, Pinot, Pinot? Yeah, we're using barrels that ideally were used by, uh, by the wineries three to five times. Okay. Um, we all get in them, Oregon, though, you're all sourcing in Oregon. them? In okay. fact, everything until probably our bottling in March, all the barrels came from Chehalem Vineyards. Okay. So all from the same vineyard and same family. Now awesome. we've got some from a couple other vineyards now that we're going to start using because we need to make more. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So the, the whiskey that you have, again, 100% barley from our farms. Until last year, we were malting our own grain. We had a floor malting facility that we were handling our malting ourselves. Um, our production has started to get to a point where doing that on a small mar floor malting facility just didn't make any sense to us, especially when it's already 90 degrees outside and you're cranking up the heat and moisture. Um, all grain, the wash brewed at our brewery in Newport and taken from there about 100 yards to the, to the still house and our little tanker that we have called the Mash Transit, anybody get the pun? Mash Transit, big sign, Mash Transit on the side. It takes it next door into the still and that's, it will take one pass through our still and 
goes into New American Oak. If anybody wants to go there, it's a char three, New American Oak. In this case, this is a five year uh, barrel time in this whiskey. If you've had this prior to this year, it would have been about a two and a half years in the whiskey. It took a pretty big jump with, with this bottling, and this will be the standard for this whiskey going forward. Everybody have it? So go ahead and stick your nose in that glass and breathe in gently through your mouth. Uh, there's no wrong answers here. I know we have a couple newcomers here. Um, don't be afraid. There are no wrong answers. Your palate and is based on your memories, and everyone's memories are different. So go ahead and stick your nose in that glass. It doesn't necessarily have to be a food word. That could come out first, but it could be a memory. Um, Graham crackers, mm -hmm. okay, cool. We getting anything back there? Don't be shy. Nat, what are you getting? Definitely some like really heavily toasted rye spice bread. Okay. Paul, what do you think? To me, it smells like rain. Rain. Like yes. Fresh rain. It's a rainstorm. Yeah, absolutely. There is like a very like um, earthiness about it, but it's not overwhelming or anything like that. You're right, fresh rain, like once the air is cleared and it's nice and brisk outside, you know? Now tap it over your tongue and see how that experience changes for you. I'm getting like a little bit of gingerbread spice on this. Definitely like mm -hmm. sugar cookie. It does have a little bit of spiciness. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have like that bloom like a bourbon does, but it's definitely got that heat on the palate for sure. It's really delicious. A little hint of cinnamon. Yeah. What's that, cinnamon? Yeah. I, mean, I kind of want to eat this with like a lamb shank or something, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like some really like nice, nice meat. Can you order one in? <laughs> Mike, so I how much would a, if I wanted this for my bar, how much would it go for roughly? If we wanted a bottle of this, for, say if you want to get it at your bar or for your home bar, how much would a bottle of this go roughly for? It runs about 65. So how many people, so I feel like this is a really big, massive kind of thing that you're doing because you're not only... I'm sure the distillery employs a lot of people, but you're also like having a lot of farmers there too. How many people do you know does the distillery employ actually? And you're working with, I want to say, at least over 200, 300 people at this point? Or are the farms pretty small still? The, the farms are pretty small. Okay. Um, the, the distillery itself has two full-time people mm. and two part-time people, not counting uh, Nate or Cooper, because we also have a cooperage right next door. Oh, that's awesome. And the, the last whiskey you'll taste is from our barrels. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that then. Yeah. Um, so it's a small operation. Okay. It really is small. I mean, the farm farm manager, Stacia, is one person. And she's got a, a team that, as farms go, kind of come and go with the system there. That's and awesome. And our beer team, yeah. the brewery teams, you know, there's probably three people involved with, you know, uh, producing our mashes. And how long have you had that cooperage there? Have you had it since the beginning of your cooperage distillery? Cooperage is uh, now four years, five okay. years. Okay. Well, why did you guys decide to do that? Um, because I feel like, well, the thing about cooperage is it's kind of a, I wouldn't say it's like a dead art, but it's not a lot of people, it's not a thing that everyone's doing. It's a lot, you, it's really easy to get your barrels from somewhere else. To actually have your cooperage at the distillery is kind of rare, I feel like. What, what made you guys decide to do that? Because we were told we couldn't, which, which is an honest, <laughs> honest answer. We're um, one of our, well, like our, our rogues, CEO, right? uh, Brett Joyce, who's <laughs> the son of uh, Jack Joyce that started Rogue, um, got to know guys in uh, McMinnville, Oregon, who have a cooperage there making wine barrels for wineries. And they got to talking, and the question was, you know, hey, what about making barrels for putting our whiskeys in and then, or finishing, you know, putting our beers in? And gradually it was kind of like, yeah, nice idea, but why don't I make you barrels? It'd be kind of ridiculous to go on that path. It's not. It's not easy, it's not inexpensive. Um, all the things that we seem to like to hear mm -hmm. when we make a decision to do it, 
Um, so at one point a call came through and said, hey, I found you some old French equipment up in Canada. If you're interested, here's what the guy's asking. If you really wanna go crazy and do it. So we went, literally Brett drove to Canada, purchased the equipment, sight unseen, had no building to put it in, didn't even have a piece of property to put it on. Wow. Got it back down to Oregon and then started deciding how to manage that. We sent Nate, who's our Cooper, to work with the guys in McMinnville for about a year, trained with them. He was already a very handy guy, been with the company a long time, done a lot of different jobs. Nate learned how to produce barrels there, and then the decision was made to make all of our barrels from Oregon oak. Awesome. Um, so we've been making Corcus Gariana, Oregon oak now for, now it has to be five years, um, and that's the, first, the last whiskey we'll taste will be the first whiskey out of those. But that's, that's why, is kind of in the rogue sensibility of things, if we can make it, we wanted to give it a try. Uh, and if we can make it work right, then even better, we'll keep but doing it. But the Gariana is protected, right? Technically, you're not allowed to use that, use the tree unless it's fallen down for, yeah, for natu so from we, natural causes, correct? Well, they're, they're clearing a lot of land for vineyards and they're clearing a lot of land for homes okay. in the Willamette Valley now. So sadly, a lot of the oak savanna has been gradually disappearing and there is some protections in place to, to kind of preserve what is there. So mm -hmm. as, as those trees become available, we end up accessing that wood. Awesome. And we'll start, we're now starting to work with some American oak and seeing how do we like that. Because Ameri Oregon oak has a lot of spice tones, a lot of baking spices, and a lot of citrus tones, but doesn't really bring in the vanilla and caramel tones that American oak does. So there are flavors expected with whiskey that you don't get from Oregon oak barrels. So we're gonna come around with this beer now. So the beer that you're using, is this the exact, are you using just this for the distillation process or are you guys using a different kind of beer? So what you're what you're getting Sorry. for this, oh, this, the beer going out now is Dead Guy Ale. How many of you had Dead Guy Ale? Anybody had Dead Guy? You're familiar with Dead Guy Ale. It's a Maybach style ale, a little maltier style ale. This for Dead Guy Whiskey, which is the next whiskey, we use the exact same recipe for this beer, which is why we brought the beer in. Okay. So we use the exact same beer without the hop addition, and that becomes the wash for Dead Guy Ale. For the single malt you just had, we're brewing a distinct wash for that whiskey. But it's not drinkable or anything like that. I've never had it, never had but it. I'm gonna guess probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not much of a beer nerd or anything like that. Um, I mean, I understand what it can do for the distillation process, but do you think that having a beer that's drinkable has a different, can impart a different flavor on the whiskey at the end result? Well, I think we'll let everybody else, everybody here decide that because one of the things I hear is people who really know Dead Guy Ale, they can they claim to taste the beer flavor kind of in the middle to the finish on the whiskey. So when you get to that point, think about it. Now, planning that in your head, you're all going to agree with me, which is great. Um, <laughs> it is, it, it does create a very unique whiskey because as far as I know, no one's using a Maybach Ale as the base for a whiskey, right? They're, they're brewing a wash the brewing a beer for the whiskey they wanted the end result. We had an opportunity when we started distilling vodkas and rums and decided to try a whiskey. We decided to try Dead Guy Ale, our flagship beer at the time. It was malty, it seemed to make sense, so that's why we decided to do that with Dead Guy Ale. We haven't done anything since with a specific beer, but we have started talking about some unique whiskeys that could be made with a few of the beers that we do make. So we may try that in the future. And are you guys using the same yeast strains for all of the beers that you're producing, even uh, for the ones that aren't drinkable that you use in your whiskeys at the end of the day? Yeah, our whiskeys are all using our, our proprietary Pac-Man yeast. So that is common in each of the whiskeys. So and, the and with Dead Guy Ale, on the beers specific, we're using other some other yeast on our, our right. ales, right? Mostly Pac-Man. But the Pac-Man yeast is known for kind of uh, not producing so much of those buttery flavors, right? A little, a little yeah. less so, yeah. Okay. 
Um, let's see. So does everyone have the beer in their hand? Everyone got one? So I mean, I guess I've never done like a beer tasting before. Is there like a certain way? I'm, I'm asking the spirits guy. Mike, can you guide us here for a little bit? Exactly the same way you would drink a spirit. What I would do though, I, I think it's kind of fun to, to get out the dead guy whiskey at the same time and you can kind of oh, smell okay. them side by side. Well then let's side, pass that around. And then taste them side by side, I think is a great way to do it. We'll just give us a moment here to pass the dead guy around. And so Mike was, Mike's comment was perfect everybody. If you want to, I'd have you try the beer first and then try the whiskey and do a little back and forth and kind of explore them together. Um, but tasting a beer like any beverage, you know, smell it, taste it, get a sense of what flavors you're getting in there and then see how that does translate over to the, to the whiskey. So what I'm getting here, the noses on them are obviously extremely different. From the beer, I'm getting a little bit more of like a like acidic, something like more yeasty, like sourdough. But on this, the the nose on the actual dead guy smells a lot like the beer tastes. I don't know. Have you guys ever had like a Charbet before? The Charbet makes a, a does something similar, but they do it with the Racer Five, and that one doesn't have that kind of funkiness. To me, that one has like more of like a really lychee and strong sweet flavor. But this one, I'm getting a little. A little something a bit more complex, at least. Definitely funky, kind of cheesy, a little bit sweet, like kind of like a, you know, like a brie on crew, like where they have mm -hmm. the jam and like the pastry over it and they bake it. It's like the comment about the toasted bread. Yeah, like that, the with the crust, butter on it, yeah. The beer, I can smell it, and then I taste those flavors over here more. What's fun, this is one of our favorite pairings. Our pubs all have three Boilermakers in our pubs, and this is always one of the most popular, partly because so many people know Dead Guy but the flavors, at least for us, seem to work really well together. And over the last year that we've had this in our pubs, it seems to keep proving that they do work beautifully together. And, and But you're welcome to tell me they suck together. If anyone <laughs> feels that way, just speak up. How's, what do you think? So raise the hands. Who likes uh, the beer more than the dead guy whiskey? All right, all right. And then the show of hands, who likes the whiskey more than the beer? All right. All right. How many of you like them together? Yes. Together? Yeah, yeah, there we go. There was a comment earlier on the single malt about the, the rain, smelling the rain or tasting the rain. It's one of the things, um, if you look at our bottles on the front, they all say ocean aged on them. And you see that on other whiskeys, they'll note ocean aged. And, and some talk about putting their whiskey on a ship or a barge and running it around the harbor or around the ocean. For us, whiskey, uh, Whiskey aging. Ocean aging is about our climate and our proximity to the ocean. The distillery is about one mile technically off the Pacific, but it's a straight line. It's actually less than a mile. If you look at the geography, uh, straight down the, uh, the mouth of the Aquina Bay. So whatever's happening on the ocean side of the, the dunes basically is what's happening at the distillery. So our distillery, the, the barrel house is open to the elements almost every day. So if it's foggy and cool, uh, it's foggy and cool slipping into the, the barrel room. If it's hotter outside, that's coming in there. Uh, our facility in Yaquina Bay there in Newport averages 55 to 65 degrees year round. Oh, wow. um, so all the whiskey is aging in barrels that balance in there. It is a very humid, as you can imagine, climate on the harbor there. Um, and the, one of the bigger impacts has been barometric pressures. The storms come through and the impact on how the barrels are breathing. Our prior distiller ran data for two years every 10 minutes collecting information because he wanted to be able to answer the question about why am I getting flavors in this whiskey that are familiar to some other regions of the world making whiskey. And the end result was humidity, temperature, the, just the climate. 
And so that's when you smell rain or you think you're tasting rain, you get that. And in the Oregon single malt and a bit in dead guy, you get that. And to me, I get a little, there's just a little, this one, I get a little fine hint of smoke, which shouldn't be there because we don't smoke anything. But the single malt does get about 5% get smoked. Uh, the grain gets smoked with apple and alder. Could you speak a little bit to the uh, to the warehouse itself, of number of levels, what it's yeah, is there of, angel share percentages that you're losing? Yeah, there's a couple of odd things that happen. It, it's it's sea level. It's uh, it's one big rack house. I mean, are you doing it in racks? Are you doing yeah. it in uh, Racks going up, and they and right now they're going about six high. Um, okay. And sure. as far as angel share. We seem to be losing, I can't give you exact percentages, but yeah. we seem to be losing a little more than we would have anticipated there. Um, and part of the experiments that continue is trying to understand why we're losing a bit more, but we're also, at the same time, we're also losing uh, alcohol. We're losing proof at the same mm. time. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that at the moment we believe is happening because of the salinity of the air, there's some theories that the salinity of the air is actually pulling some of the alcohol through faster than we'd like it to be. Kind of like it's uh, it's, a, it's adhering to the molecule yeah. of the sodium, exactly. basically. Yeah, and that's pulling out. So that's a unique, definitely a unique thing with that location. And we're, as you're tasting this, uh, Dead Guy Whiskey falls under American Single Malt as a category that's not yet defined, but hopefully soon. And with that, for us, we love these little factors that are affecting our flavor because part of the goal with American Single Malt is ultimately regionally around the country, different pockets will have very clear flavors and very clear impact and influence of the climate and where you're at. So grains from Oregon, aging on our coast, all the impact of the pieces coming together in these whiskeys. So for this dead guy, it's uh, aged in third, also, same same three char American yep. okay, Same awesome. new American oak, nope. char three. Char uh, this is about two and a half years in the barrel on okay. the dead guy. Yes. Um, is there a story to uh, the dead guy moniker? Yes, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you the short version. Dead Guy Ale originally was produced for a restaurant in Portland, Friends, Friends of the Brewery, uh, that had a restaurant there called, I think it was called Casa Ubecha. And Casa Ubecha was a kind of a Mexican fusion concept in Portland, did very, very well. And they asked us to brew a beer for them that was unique. And we thought, well, let's, let's, let's do this and see how it works. It worked out beautiful, became a great beer for them. And, and out in front of Casa Ubecha was a, a big wine barrel, and on top of it stood the the icon that is Dead Guy. And this character without the mug of beer sat on top of the barrel. Um, and if you want to get into Aztec lore, we can talk about that later, about who this character is. Um, but that sat on top of the barrel. And the barrel and the character became the logo or the icon for Dead Guy Ale. And over the years, uh, that became very well known for Dead Guy. And about two years ago, the barrel was dropped and we just have the Dead Guy now on that. <laughs> Um, and then that carried, of course, over to the whiskey. I love this, though. It kind of gives me like a Dia de los Muertos vibe a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I love that. All right. So we're going to come around with the, what are we doing, the third mark? Or I guess fourth, technically. So go ahead and give uh, Natalie, present Natalie with an empty glass. There's carafes of water in the center of your tables. If there aren't, please share with your neighbors. Go ahead and clear a glass for Natalie. Please make it easy on her. She's going to come around, and we're going to be pouring the... Oregon rye malt. While they're pouring, anybody have any questions? Anything else on the whiskeys? Yes. Now that you guys are making so many different spirits and you're intersecting them, are there plans to have a beer and Yes. <laughs> there's actually, there's two beers right now. Um, you can find Dead and Dead, 
which is Dead Guy Ale aged in Dead Guy Whiskey Barrels. And then the other one um, we'll talk about when we get to the next whiskey. I'll walk you through that. But yeah, that, the nice thing about having the cooperage and the brewery and the distillery um, is we can share resources, we can share barrels, we can share ingredients, we can we can put we can put our, our Pinot Gin, we can put a beer into the Pinot Gin barrels once those are drained. So there's a lot of different creativity opportunities that can happen by intermingling the distillery, the cooperage, the brewery, and then you get Sorry. you know crazy people from marketing okay. involved and ideas start going all over the place. So that's that's really a lot of fun to be able to do that. And then with the farm, we can go to the farm and say, hey, we'd like to, why don't you try growing our coriander for next year? Why don't you try growing ginger? And and absolutely we'll do that. That's like Marion berries that go on of our beers, one of those situations. It's nice to have all those different resources to pull from, for sure. One of the ways we'll start to kind of balance out um, our use of oak is one, getting oak that's already been, you know, been, have been dropped for us and accessing that way. But also started, we're starting to do experiments with making barrels from American oak. We've not done that before. We wanted to focus on Oregon oak, wanted to refine our cooperage that way. And now we're starting to look for the flavors of American oak for some of our whiskeys or some of our beers. We've made a few barrels. And, and again, having our own cooperage allows us to do crazy stuff with American oak and Oregon oak and you know maybe different other woods that we want to play with. So we can we can do more things with that. But yeah, managing the sustainability of that uh, is really important, you know, for us, but also for every work, you know, everything about Oregon is how can we do all these wonderful things that we can grow and we can make there, but how can we do it in the most sustainable way we possibly can? Uh, the harsh reality is populations growing fast in the Portland area, all the way down the Willamette Valley. It's going up the sides of the valley, and as that happens, you know, trees become available, like it or not, um, and hopefully, you know, that gets a little more curtailed. A lot of the vineyards. And I've got tons of friends in vineyards, so anybody who's listening to the vineyards, don't, don't listen to me now. A lot of vineyards have gone up where there used to be oak savanna, and those trees became lumber for furniture and things like that. I'd rather they become barrels for whiskey and beer. So now that you guys are kind of transitioning more to American oak, do you think maybe you'll be experimenting with some age statements for those Garyana casts? Do you think you'll be sitting on some of those barrels and maybe experimenting with the lime further further down? Yeah, for sure. We And we've done, we have barrels now that either four years of the Oregon single malt that you tasted, uh, Dead Guy Whiskey, and the rye that you're about to taste, all in pure Oregon oak. Okay. And we'll let those kind of go for a little while okay. and see how they do. And um, with we have a new distiller. Brian Kate was our distiller five years ago. He's left and come back on, and I think he's starting to get some ideas of what he'd like to be doing differently. Mm -hmm. And with some of the whiskeys now in barrel, how we can combine the combine the new American oak they're in and bring the Oregon oak in and let them age longer in that because mm -hmm. you're not getting the sweetness you're getting other tones so mm -hmm. you know five more years let's say in Oregon oak would be a very different whiskey in yeah so, absolutely yeah there's a there's a lot of a lot of fun creativity we can do there and, and age is something one of the things with new American oak and even with Oregon oak is because it's new we're getting all that first fill value right mm -hmm. so two and a half ish years starts to be the point where we start getting a lot of the flavors we want the Oregon single malt was five years, and that's at a point now where our next concern is if it goes a year or two more, do we start to lose the grain? Do we get too much wood? So we're watching that carefully. But what if we took that and put that put that whiskey into Oregon oak mm -hmm. that's bringing other flavors, flavors in that's fresh? Yeah. So there's okay. possibilities there for awesome. sure. Awesome. Yeah. So we are on the, what are we on right now? This is the, the rye, Oregon rye, rye malt. malt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the mash bill on this? This is 52% um, rye, and it's malted rye. So... Entering this, know that this is a malted rye. 
and then 48% uh, barley again from our farm. So this is another one like the single malt where we've grown all the grain into this. Dead guy is roughly 70% of that is our grain because we did source the crystal malt for that particular wash. Um, so yeah, uh, 52, 48 on this, malted rye. So it's gonna be, if you're any, any rye drinkers in the room, it's gonna be a different <laughs> different approach for rye for you. So take it, you know, when you, when you get to the point of tasting it, let it go in, let it wash over your tongue and let, give it a little time to be different for what it is. Do all of these whiskeys have a, uh, a differentiation of their, for how long they're fermenting for? Or do they all, all across the board say like 48 hours or two days or 10 days? On, on fermentation or age Fer statement? Fermentation. Fermentation, they don't have any fermentation statements on Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and stick your nose in that glass and breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting on this? This one I feel like is a lot sweeter than any of the ones we've had. I'm getting like a pound cake. That darker bottom side of a pound cake. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like getting the crust. A little more caramely. Yeah, caramely, yeah. yeah. Evan, what are you getting on this? Fruity. I am getting some, getting some like golden raisins, like kind of like, you know, when the cinnamon bun sticks at the bottom of the pan a little bit. Chocolate covered cherries. I like that. What are you getting over here? Pie crust, for sure. Flaky, buttery, delicious. Nat? Yeah, pie crust. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Paul, what are you getting on this? Pie crust. I know, it's all in our brains now. So go ahead and tap it over your tongue and see how that experience changes for you. some sort of like a, a Mills-like toasted uh, like forest nuts, but I don't think it's hazel. It's, it's some sort of like a forest nut. I like that hazelnut thing, though. Like, I understand where you're going there because, like, there is a butteriness to there. It's like cookies, dessert. You said the pecan pie. It's in my mind now. It's just like... Pecan pie crust. You come in with a six pack of the dead guy and this, and you're set yeah. to go. Yeah. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Natalie made a really good point. For someone that doesn't drink rye, this is very, very approachable for sure. Sometimes you get a little bit like kind of like funkiness and pickle, like herbal. It could be a little bit too medicinal for people. This is extremely approachable. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that for me, the first rye I ever had were two too rich, too sweet, too intense. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, because I'm a single malt, I'm a spay malt kind of scotch drinker guy, which is why I love our dead guy and our Oregon single malt. When I go to most rise, they're too intense for me. For me as a, as a single malt drinker, this is super easy entry. So I've always got this bottle at home because I can drink it neat, I can put it on a big rock, or I can make a great cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. So it becomes a very diverse drinking whiskey and cocktail whiskey, kind of like Dead Guy was. But it's got a, a great texture on it too. Yeah. It's super smooth and it's like nice. It's not too oily, but it's thick a little bit too. It lingers for sure. So yeah. it's got a nice coat. This is, this is three years in, in barrel as well. Can you speak a little to um, what the, the generation of this, of this rye was? Because this is not, uh, in flavor, yeah, like a, a standard uh, Pennsylvania or Maryland style rye, um, great on its own, but it, very, very different uh, compared to the traditional styles of, of American rye. Uh, of whether that was just sort of like, a, hey, we we think this this mash bill with these grains are going to be tasty, or or mm -hmm. what what the what the the generative thinking was in creating this rye. This was um, this rye is, is a very rogue situation, right? For us, it was. We had started leaning towards the single malt category somewhat um, without really intending to. It just was made sense for us to make whiskeys from malt because as brewers and making 100% uh, barley whiskey made a lot of sense and malting the grain made a lot of sense. 
So all these things just worked for what we started to do when we were making whiskeys. When we got to the point of a rye, it was kind of, well, we're malt guys. What do we do with a rye? Well, why don't we malt the rye and let's see where that goes. So it was literally a decision of this is what we know. Let's first see how it works. And we think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Were you malting really the rye yourself or were you working yes. with somebody? Okay. Yeah. Until this year, we were malting all of our barley and rye ourselves. Um, but we've hit a point with production and needs that we had to stop floor malting, which is a very laborious process Absolutely. and painful. It's and the same small, thing with the cooperage, small facility you know? that we source very rare. Yeah. yeah, it's very the rare. The cooperage is not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, malting our own grain just stopped making any sense at all. And when you were malting, did you speak a little to uh, how many guys you had doing that, about how much you were malting in general and, and what the, the future of that is? It predates me um, being with Rogue. Uh, but my understanding is we had two guys working the, the floor facility and it was a small system. Yeah, that's so that's that's why it's you grow out of it really fast. Yeah. Um, my, my understanding there's two other malted ryes out there. Um, I One I cannot think of the name of is upstate New York, a very small producer up there. And then I think Old Petrero has a malted rye as well. I think it's 1880 or something like that is what it's called. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple other examples of this, but malted rye is a pretty rare, malting the rye yeah, and doing it was yeah. a pretty rare approach. Um, it just makes sense. I mean, we really lean to the single malt category for whiskeys. We've been doing that long enough now. We're excited to see American single malts starting to A, get a classification that, that gives it some definition, but also starting to see people writing about single malts more, American single malts, people asking for them more. I see a, a couple here, which is great. Um, and we're starting to work more and more with the few others that are making, and more people are starting to make American single malt, which we're excited about because we've got more people who can now talk about it. And we'll start working on more events to talk about American single malt. Um, it's it's a great category that's now finally starting to come along. And and doing a malted rye again just fits with our thought process. I think malting the rye actually makes it a lot more approachable. I mean, at least for this spirit, for sure. Yeah. It's just like this is something. Sometimes I'm a little bit afraid of serving people rye when they come into the room, because it could just the. There's so many, there's the spectrum is so wide, and this is just something that's going to be so simple. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, can you talk about the process of, like, tip, like a typical rye process versus, like, malting it and what, like, the difference is going to be? Too question? No, not too deep of a question. No, typically when you malt something, it's going to be for the barley. The rye, it is a bit of a little bit of a... So it's, it's like a, not a typical grain that you malt. Exactly, right. yeah, exactly. It's basically ap applying a different uh, methodology to a to a different grain, something that's specifically reserved for malt for malted for barley, but they're applying it to yeah. rye. So, do you guys do that process because you're beer guys first? Is that kind of the mentality? Well, no, because we were making malt whiskey first. Oh, you were. And we I mean Oregon single malt, dead guy whiskey are both malted with malt whiskeys, uh, American single malts. And we were doing that and it, that made sense. So our sensibilities around being malted first was applied to the rye as well. And at the beginning as an experiment, how will this work? And then it, we felt like it was working well and more time in barrel keeps proving to us that it was the right move. Yeah. So it wasn't because we were beer guys. The fact that we were making whiskey or spirits started because we were beer guys early in craft beer and kind of woke up, Jack Joyce woke up one day and kind of was like, what's this next thing we gotta be thinking about? And craft spirits was the next thing to think about. So 15 years ago, we headed down this path, but the rye came about because we were malt whiskey guys first. And that's what we understood. So the whiskey that's gonna come around now, um, 
don't don't be upset if there's shorter pours on these. This whiskey, I'll, very first thing I'll tell you, it is the proof on this is 115.7. This is a cast strength whiskey. This is a big boy. Yes, this is a good time to take a break, be ready to sit down and yeah. not go anywhere when you're finished. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is Rolling Thunder Stouted Whiskey. Rolling Thunder is the name of our cooperage. So if you get a chance to come to Oregon and go to Newport, uh, next to the, the still house and our, our aging room is Rolling Thunder Barrel Works. So that's where the Rolling Thunder comes from. Has anyone in here had Rolling Thunder Imperial Stout? No. Which is a limited stout, stout that comes out about January. Anybody? The stout? Okay, so you want me to explain this? Please do, please this do. Is, this is a complex whiskey to understand. Brace yourselves and be ready to ask me to repeat. This whiskey starts out as the same distillate as Dead Guy. So the same wash as Dead Guy whiskey comes, comes over from the brewery. That wash goes into... Rolling Thunder's Oregon Oak Barrels. So Rolling Thunder Barrels from our cooperage. That whiskey will go in there and it'll sit in that barrel for about one year. And to keep this as simple as possible because it can get crazy. The whiskey after a year comes out of that barrel and is held aside. Those barrels then are filled with Rolling Thunder Imperial Stout. Goes into those barrels for anywhere from, I believe, eight months to a year. That stout sits in the barrels, saturates those barrels, and then when that whiskey on that stout comes out, like right about now um, or within the next couple of weeks uh, to be bottled for release in January, um, the whiskey then will go right back into those barrels and it will age for two more years in those stouted barrels. So that's, that is our approach to a stout barrel aged whiskey, not finished. This isn't whiskey that we dumped in a barrel and took out after a couple of months. This spent two years going back in, breathing in and out of the wood, taking all of those flavors back out of that. And it is, it is Oregon oak. Um, so the beautiful thing with the Oregon oak being mostly, what did I say, citrus and, and baking spice flavors, kind of spices coming out of that. The stout that then saturated in that wood is what's giving in the sweetness and those kind of caramel and richer tones that comes into it. Um, Just to make sure I hear you correctly, so your distillate base on this is the Rolling Thunder Stout as well, correct? No, the distillate base the is Dead Guy. Dead Guy, dead guy Exactly. But it's kind of like a, the Stout is kind of just like flash. It's all, you said it's only two weeks that it rests in that barrel? No, or? The, the Stout will be in the barrel from anywhere from eight months to a year. Oh, Depends wow. on, okay. on the brewer saying the flavor is where I want it, right? Okay. So then that comes out and the whiskey goes back in for two more years. So this, this is, uh, this particular bottle we brought is we only bottled 350 cases. Wow. That's it, 50 cases stayed in Oregon. The other 300 cases left Oregon and were all absorbed by Total Wine. <laughs> uh, it's about $75 on the shelf at Total. Um, this bottling is, is here now uh, at Total stores only. Um, when it's gone, it's gone. We're bottling more Rolling Thunder Stouted Whiskey later in December that will be released in January, but that version of it will be proofed down to 97, okay. which is the sweet spot for the whiskey. Uh, 97, we went through a lot of trials and tastings and 97 just was singing all kinds of wonderful songs to us. So go ahead and stick your nose in that glass and breathe eggnog. in gently through your mouth. Eggnog, all right. Like, like what? Pumpkin spice. Pump oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that acronym, but now I do. 
Tis the season. Eggnog, pumpkin spice latte. Very woody. Yeah. Well, I got sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds, interesting. Wow, you know, you said that, and as soon as you said it, my brain went ding, <laughs> sunflower seeds. Like the power the husk of suggestion and, is strong. And you've strong. got it still in your mouth, right? Yeah. Oh, Evan, yeah. what do you think about this? It's nutty. It's nutty. It's nutty and seasonal. You know, for 115 proof, uh, 115, it doesn't doesn't drink like it. It it drinks very very easy, you know. And that's like you know that's what people, that's what some of the best whiskeys like are sought after. Something that has a really high proof, but it doesn't drink that way, you yeah. know. It's just like that's the sweet spot. So yeah, I'm actually I'm a little bummed that you. I'm a little bummed that you guys will bring it down to proof eventually because this is actually very, very delicious. Could you speak to a little bit, if, if this is where you're, where you're doing your special release and then you're proofing it down, uh, what the, the flavor uh, variation is between those two marks and, and why you chose to do that? Um, the flavoring really, the big change in the flavor is it's going to get a little softer and rounder. The, the kind of dark chocolate tones come more forward. Um, and it just it just gets a little bit it just gets a little smoother and rounder and that's what we were looking for. We we tasted this over the last year and a half, um, and I believe what we ended up doing is tasting the same barrel every time. That was a lower AB lower proof in that barrel. And when we got to this point, we love what we did, but we're all going, where is that flavor? And as we did the experiments, that that proof spot gave us that rounded, more complex kind of yeah, really chocolate. Anybody anybody cigar smoke cigars? I'm a dark Maduro wrap kind of guy. I get those kind of flavors back in here as well. And that's that gets a little more pronounced, but with a sweetness when you bring the proofing down. It's so if you've got you've got some water, if you still have any in your glass, add a little drop of water and see what happens to it. Yeah, absolutely. It'll definitely open it up. So we were talking about this earlier. We were outside and uh, we were talking about how, uh, well, how old is this again? Uh, you said, so first is... It's two years, and then the stout goes in. It's one year in the Oregon Oak, and then stout in the barrel for a year, and then it goes back in for two years. For so two, a total of three years for a total in total of three years, yeah. okay. So this actually reminds me a lot more of like a rye than your Oregon, than your, or, yeah, than your, bigger, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the heat for sure. Does anybody have any more questions for Dewey over here? Come on, hit me with the hard stuff. So I can deflect it Paul. over to Mike. Paul, Paul's got us. So I'm just wondering, uh, are you guys? So when you're obviously you, uh, when you have a distillate and after you're pulling it out of the barrel, it's going to taste different in different proofs because as you add water, the the way the ethyl uh, alcohol releases flavor is going to it's going to shift. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, what is your guys' process of uh, deciding on those uh, those bottle proofs? Are you guys doing? Blind tastings with a tasting panel that you have? Is that your master blender? What uh, What do you guys, uh, what is your process for, for saying, hey, you know, I think we should do it at 90 versus, you know, going higher? Yeah, anytime we're going to look at a proof change or we're, we've got a new whiskey such as this that we want to explore, uh, Brian, our distiller, will come back, come to us with a range of proofs, usually, you know, five to seven and uh, as a starting point. We'll taste those and give him feedback. And sometimes in that mix is like, that's the magic spot. We already know where it's at. And other times it'll be, you know what? Uh, could be, you know, in this case, 93 was really nice. 105 was really nice. 
95 was getting closer. What's the next spot? And he came back to us with a 97, came back to us with a 101, and, and we tasted again. And blind tasting. It was yeah. like, we don't know what we're tasting. It's taste, write your notes, and then let's discuss them. Part of our goal is to give you whiskey that is that we think is as good as we can make it, and we hope you all love it, but also to give you whiskey that's not overly priced. I mean, we know we're making craft American single malt. We could be charging you $85, $95, $120, $140. We don't want to do that. We want our whiskeys to be reasonable enough so you're drinking craft whiskey, you're making small batch, you're drinking things that someone put a lot of loving time and attention into instead of cranking it out through big machines and giving you whiskey at low dollars. And to do it the way we do it, we just can't, we can't do it that low, yeah. but we're happy with what we're pricing at because no, it's still absolutely. not expensive. Other questions? Questions for Mike about beer. Thank you for not asking questions about beer. I appreciate that moment. Is there like a, focus on spirits. Is there like some fun uh, organ toast that you can uh, enlighten us with? Dear God, it's raining outside. Give me whiskey. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember.